And let's turn to Genesis chapter 17 tonight. Kind of stopped in the middle of the chapter because we ran out of time. Very unique and uh, unprecedented event here at Calvary Chapel Modesto. But it does happen every other week or so. Anyway, so, so we stopped there. And uh, where we stopped was at the end of verse 14. We'll pick things up in verse 15. So last week we stopped with God's uh, uh, institution of circumcision for Abraham and his uh, descendants as kind of a confirmation of their accepting of his covenant with them that God would bless the whole world uh, through the nations that he would bring through Abraham and, uh, and then uh, also uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham that the land of Canaan would belong to him and his descendants. And then God said to Abraham, verse 15, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, and nobody really knows what the name Sarai means. Some people believe it means princess, some people believe it means contentious, and uh, I wouldn't touch that with a ten-foot pole. Uh, but, uh, so we really don't know what her name means, but we do know what God renames her, and He renames her, but you shall call her name Sarah, shall be her name. And the word Sarah means a princess, so just as God renamed Abram, Abraham, the father of many nations, so that he would have a name consistent with God's calling upon his life every time he hears his name. Uh, it, the faith, uh, his, his faith would be encouraged concerning the promises of God in his life. God does the same thing to his wife, calls her a princess. She is going to uh, give birth to royalty. And I will bless her and also will give you a son by her. Now Abram, Abraham already has a son through Hagar uh, by the name of Ishmael. Uh, but that was a work of the flesh. That wasn't God's idea. That wasn't in his plan or anything like that. So it's unfair to take Ishmael and try and put him on God. God's not going to accept that as we're going to see in just a few minutes. But what he's been promising to Abraham and Sarah all along is, or to Abraham all along is, I'm going to bring a child, a son, uh, through Sarah. That's what this promise is all about. Not through the work of the flesh and handmaidens and, and all of these things that you came up with in your impatience. So I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be uh, from her. Now remember, uh, she's uh, 90 years old at this point. Uh, Abram is about 100 years, uh, Abraham's about 100 years old at this point. Uh, they've been probably married since uh, Sarah was about 15. They married pretty early uh, in those days compared to Western culture today. So they've been trying to have a child for a long time. Really long, 75 years or so. And uh, not having any success at all, God comes, uh, took, you know, better late than never, but this is what it seems like to them, now promises, now that she's 90, <clears throat> And uh, in the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews concerning both Abraham and Sarah, as good as dead <laughs> in terms of the reproductive you know, processes of the human body and all. She's way past menopause and change of life 
and all. But he makes this promise. And here's how Abraham, great man of faith, responded to uh, this promise of God that this, the promises will be fulfilled through his wife Sarah. He fell on his face. Ouch. And, uh, and he laughed. He just, and he said in his heart, he just starts laughing out loud. And I don't know, you know, how often God gets laughed at on things, but he just laughs and he said in his heart, it's unbelievable to him, it's impossible apart from God. And he said, shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, it was just uh, physically inconceivable to him. And, uh, and so he thinks God, you know, probably needs a little help, a little counsel on, on things. And uh, so uh, Abraham is going to approach God now with a plan that's a little more realistic. God can be so unrealistic in his promises. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And so he takes and says, Listen, God, you don't have... I mean, the ch- uh, through Sarah, oh, come... I've already got a boy right here. We worked on this for you, got this whole thing situated. And uh, so just fulfill the promise that a great nation is going to come from me, that is going to bless the nations of the world historically, and, uh, and a nation that you are going to give the land of Canaan to. Go ahead and fulfill this uh, through Ishmael. That's, that's what he's, he's saying. Uh, to to God here, and Ishmael's about thirteen years old now. Abraham loves Ishmael. It, it, it's it, what they what, is a work of the flesh, but but uh, so were probably the Scottish and the Irish, <laughs> both of which I am. But uh, but so but Abraham loves his boy. And, and, and this is his flesh and blood, so he tries to present him to God. Notice God's response. God said, no, that's uh, clarity, no, not going there. Sarah, your wife, not your handmaiden. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. And the, word, the name Isaac means laughter. So God names the boy before he's born. And I think the reason that he names him laughter is twofold. Number one, because this boy is going to bring great joy to uh, a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother. They're going to, he's going to bring a lot of joy into their life. I think God also names him laughter uh, so that every time uh, they uh, hear his name, they will be reminded that when God gave them the promise concerning Isaac, both of them responded by laughing. And so this is going to be this, this little boy, and he's going to grow into a man, and every time they call his name, it's going to be a reminder, don't laugh at the promises of God. God will have the last laugh. So you call his name Isaac, and then with the, your son, through Sarah, your wife, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And, now, the promised child, as, as God responds to Ab- Abraham here, he said, the pr- child that I've been promising all along, making this covenant with you, to make you a blessing to all of the nations of the world and, and all, that's going to come through Sarah, not going to come uh, through, through Hagar. Uh, 
He laughs up in uh, verse 17, but after verse 19, you never see Abraham laughing at the promise of God related to a son between him and Sarah again. He gets it. God's serious. He's going to provide me with a son through Sarah. And, and this is what was written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he, that is Abraham, did not consider his own body already dead in terms of uh, childbearing, He's, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's uh, womb. And so God declares that his covenant is going to be with Isaac, going to be with Isaac's descendants after him and not with Ishmael. And this verse, along with a couple of other verses, is very, very important uh, to uh, understand the condition uh, uh, that the Middle East is in in the big fight for land over there, specifically the land of Canaan, that is the land of, of uh, Israel. And especially as it relates to the Muslim mind. The Arab Muslims regard themselves as descendants of Abraham through Ishmael, which is absolutely true of them. They are descendants of, of Ishmael. But they also believe that God's covenant with Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world will be fulfilled through Ishmael and his lineage, that is the Arabs, and not through Isaac and the nation that came through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is the Jews. But notice in verse 19 in the, uh, here, God is very, very clear. He rejects Ishmael in this capacity. Abraham comes to God and says, fulfill this covenant. And remember, back in, 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 uh, in uh, what chapter are we in right now? Still in the same chapter, earlier in the chapter. When God made the covenant with Abraham, the covenant involved two things. It involved a nation or nations coming from Abraham that would be a blessing to the world and, and that was so it was that he would he he, uh, he would give birth to a nation that would bless the whole world and then number two that that nation would then uh, inherit the land of of Canaan so there's two parts to the covenant uh, the the nation that will be born of him and then that nation will inherit uh, uh, the land and and so here Abraham tries to uh, have the blessing be upon uh, Ishmael and uh, the Lord rejects Ishmael in that capacity he's going to bless uh, Ishmael mightily uh, the descendants of Ishmael sit on most of the oil reserves of the world God knows how to bless Ishmael and uh, and he has made great nations of, of Ishmael he doesn't hate Ishmael it's just never it just he owns the whole wide world he can give the land to whoever he wants and he has just decided that he is going to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of, of Isaac. Now, um, they, so they believe that that whole covenant is going to be fulfilled through Ishmael, not Isaac. God makes it very, very clear that his covenant uh, through Abraham is going to be established through Isaac and not Ishmael. Interestingly, uh, the Muslims also believe that when... 
Abraham, and we get into this in Genesis chapter 22. But when Abraham went up on Mount Moriah to offer Isaac his son, his only son, as God, uh, God did not acknowledge the work of, of Sarah and Abraham's flesh. He did not acknowledge uh, uh, Ishmael in, in terms of being the fulfillment of this promise. But when Abraham took Isaac up onto Mount Moriah uh, to offer him to the Lord as the Lord had commanded, uh, the uh, Muslims believe that he didn't take Isaac up in spite of the fact that that's what the Bible says and clearly says, but that he took up Ishmael to Mount Moriah to offer Ishmael uh, as a sacrifice. But in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, God said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, etc. Verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And, uh, and so... Uh, you, you cannot take, here is, uh, Muhammad comes on the scene, 600 plus A.D. All of this is going on here in, in Genesis chapter 19, about 1800, almost 1900 years B.C. Muhammad comes on the scene 2,500 years after this promise that God makes to Abraham and Sarah concerning Isaac in verse 19 and declares concerning all of this and also in Genesis chapter 22 that it's all false. It's been false for 2,500 years. I understand what the passage says. It wasn't Isaac. It was Ishmael. That, that is reason enough to reject the Koran completely in the teachings of Muhammad as being come from God. You never, never judge subsequent revelation you never judge the earlier revelation by subsequent revelation subsequent revelation somebody says God told me this it is always tested by what we already know God said because God does not repent and God does not change that's why Jesus when he came on the scene and they were looking at, at him with some very radical kind of teaching he made it very very clear at the beginning of his ministry I have not come to destroy the law I am building on the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill the law. And, and you, you can never get it backwards. It's the same way with, with the Mormons and the different, you know, uh, non-Christian cults that come on the scene. Uh, they fail to allow the new revelation to be tested by the early revelation in the Word of God. And so Islam, the teachings of Islam, Muhammad, the Quran. All of them fail the test of, of verse 19 here. They also fail the test of Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 uh, through 3. It's interesting, too, that God's covenant with uh, Abraham uh, regarding becoming the father of many nations and a blessing to the world and inheriting the land of, Ke of, of Canaan is fulfilled in Isaac. And, and not only is that revealed here in, in this uh, verse here in, in Genesis chapter 17, but ultimately, as we continue through the book of Genesis, Ishmael drops out of the biblical chronology completely. He just he goes by the wayside. We never hear of, of him almost again. We hear of his descendants. But the, God, the, the Bible stays very, very focused on the descendants of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. 
And the, the reason is obvious because God has chosen to raise up a nation through that lineage uh, to bless the world, the fulfillment of the covenant, including who the land goes to. Uh, and so that's why the Holy Spirit keeps his focus upon that and, uh, and lets everything else fall uh, by the wayside. It's interesting, too, that in Genesis, later on in Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 and 14, God will reiterate uh, in, in making a promise to Jacob, who was the son of, of Isaac, that it is through Isaac and through Jacob now that this uh, covenant uh, is going to be fulfilled. And God declared, and behold, uh, the word of God declares, and behold, the Lord stood above it, uh, this ladder that in, in all that uh, Jacob was seeing and all, and, and said to Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Nothing about Ishmael. This is following a completely different lineage. Still later, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, God declares to Moses, Moreover, the Lord said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, speaking of the Jewish people. For I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites just as God had promised to Abraham in that vision that he had where the animals were cut and, and then going to be in the bondage his, his descendants for 400 years once again remember God never asked for Ishmael and just because Sarah and Abraham got impatient and tried to help God along with his plan doesn't mean that, that God has to change his plan, which was his plan all along. And that is to bless the world through a nation he would raise up through Abraham and through his son Isaac and the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then on into Moses. They are the ones to whom he has promised the land of Canaan. So I, I hope that's a little bit helpful as we read the headlines and, uh, of the newspaper and everybody is fighting about uh, who gets it first and, and all of that. And the reason that um, it's interesting related to, uh, you know, the Muslim claim related to the land is that they're trying to lay claim to the land from a biblical basis. They claim that Islam has a Old Testament uh, root and, and that they adhere to that. If they adhere to that, then there would be no question that God loves the Arabs, God loves the descendants of Ishmael, but he has not chosen to fulfill his covenant uh, <clears throat> through, through them. Now, in, as a, an expression of God's love for Ishmael, 
And uh, as for Ishmael, verse 20, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He will beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. And of course, the descendants of Ishmael have become a great people in the world. I think even now, uh, we're going to read later on in the Pentateuch of, of the twelve nations that came out of their, their listed elsewhere. But I think today they rule over eighteen nations of the world. So God loves them. Them. God wants to save them. It, you don't have to take sides on, on, in terms of uh, Jew or Arab or this, this kind of thing. He loves them all. But, but it's, it, it's through the Jews that he has provided the world with the Old Testament scriptures and most of the New Testament scriptures. And it is through the Jews that he has provided the whole world with a Savior. It is not a small issue. Uh, it is not an issue to cave on in terms of, of uh, 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 biblically uh, understanding it. It is important to God. But I look at it, and uh, God gets to choose whoever He wants to choose to have the land and to bring the Savior of the world in through and to provide the Scriptures uh, through. Uh, and as a, a Scot and as an Irishman, or if a person is Portuguese or Japanese, he didn't choose any of us either. Uh, but I'm happy for the Scriptures. And I'm happy for the Savior. God gets to do what He wants. And uh, the, the, the two great rules of the, of the universe, there's a God, number one. Number two rule, you're not Him. Alright? So that makes everything uh, very, very uh, simple. So the Jews, they're not a perfect people. Sometimes people think, well, God, they're the God's chosen people and and everything but you know they make mistakes and they're not perfect either I think they're about the most scrutinized people in in the whole world God didn't choose the Jews because they were better than everyone else as a mistake to understand that Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 for you God said are a holy people to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth even the Scottish and the Irish, I'm offended. And, but the Lord goes on and says, The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because God loves you. That's why He chose him. And He gets to choose that, that way. And so God loves the Jews. This is what He's doing. He loves Ishmael and his descendants, wants all of them to be saved. They need the same Savior that's going to come through this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, notice uh, the uh, verse 21. But, he says concerning Ishmael, my covenant I will establish with Isaac. In case nobody got it the first time in verse 19. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So about nine months away. And then he finished talking with him. Uh, and God went up from Abraham. And so Abraham took Ishmael, his son. They 
have been given a commandment now to be circumcised. And so he took his son, all who were born in his house, all who were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. God said it. Abraham got with the program as God had said uh, to them. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised uh, in the flesh of his foreskin. This was an incapacitating operation, by the way, at, at, that, at that age. Left the whole group of them vulnerable, really, all of, all of the men. In, the, in that condition. But he obeys the Lord. God's going to protect us as we obey him. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in his house, or bought with money from a foreigner. All of his servants were circumcised with him. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So here is uh, Abraham, 99 years old, and uh, you've got that Middle Eastern heat. He's down in the southern section uh, of Israel. It's the middle of the day, and Abraham is just sitting in the door flap of his tent, probably in the shade, just kind of waiting out that section uh, of, of the day. In other words, he's doing nothing real slow. It's one of my favorite pictures in the whole Bible. So he's, he's just a pilgrim. And, and is a tremendous contrast to what Lot, his nephew, has found himself in the middle of in, in Sodom. So he lifts up his eyes, you know, and he looked, and behold, three man was, men were standing uh, by him. So I, he's looking out, and maybe he kind of nodded off for a second, and all of a sudden the three of them are standing uh, right there. And when he saw them, he ran. So running, he's 99 years old, and he's still running running that glucosamine that's that's uh that's good citrical you know i hear it on the the radio and all so he gets up and he's he's running just good living and uh, good gene pool or something i guess so he runs from the tent door heat of the day to meet these guests he bows himself down before them and then he said my lord now these three guests two of them as we're going to see are angels and the other one is the lord himself it's a christophany it is a pre-incarnate appearance of jesus christ in uh, the old testament and he said my lord if i have found favor in your sight do not pass on by your servant this is hospitality Middle Eastern style. Can you guys hang around a little bit? I'd sure love your company. And he wants to do three things for them. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. So that would be refreshing in that heat, wouldn't it? And then rest yourself under the tree. He finds a shady spot uh, for them. And I will bring a morsel of bread. The third thing he, he produce, wants to produce for them is a little bit of food. Now he says a morsel of bread and uh, he's going to bring out a feast. This man has a gift for understatement. I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant and they accept the hospitality and they said do as you have said and so Abraham hurried 99 years old and he still got hurry in him and uh, so he hurried into the tent to Sarah got a, he's got about a million and one servants I'm not going to hand this over to the servants 
Not these guests. We're going to prepare this meal ourselves. He hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, (laughs) we've got three guests for dinner, and one of them's God, and the other two look like angels. No pressure, honey, but that... That meatloaf just isn't going to, you know, work here uh, tonight. So make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran. I mean, he's doing a lot of running. He runs to the herd. He took a tender and good calf and uh, gave it to a young man uh, in order for uh, him to hasten now uh, to slaughter it, to prepare it. And so uh, he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and he set it before the three guests before the Lord and the two angels. Now, it takes, what, about uh, three seconds to read uh, through that particular section. And so he couldn't just say, oh, wow, unexpected guests. Let's go get some burgers at In-N-Out or something like that. So we're going to, can you stick around for a meal? I mean, they're, they're slaughtering the calf. You know you're going to be there for a while. Then they've got to cook the silly thing and, and all. So uh, slower pace. Uh, of life in in those days. Now notice what they serve to the Lord. They serve the calf meat to the Lord with butter and with milk. Oh, mixing meat and dairy. Prior to the law of Moses. And the Lord eats it. And the angels eat it. When God spoke to Moses in the law of Moses and gave the prohibition to the children of Israel that they were not to eat a goat that was boiled in its mother's milk. He was being literal. That was a Canaanite fertility ritual. And he is saying, don't do that when you go into the land. He wasn't saying, now forever and ever you can never mix meat and dairy in any of your meals. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have partaken of it here in, in this, uh, this circumstance. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate, which is Middle Eastern uh, hospitality. We just start passing stuff around. We all take our share, make sure we don't take too much because the guests are here, and we'll serve them first, and all that's good. In those days, they would let the guests eat everything they wanted to eat. And then when they're done and they're satisfied, that's the importance of hospitality. When they were done eating, then it was like, okay, as long as they're taken care of, we'll eat what's left over. And so that's how they did things. They stood by, he stood by them uh, under the tree as they ate, no doubt getting great joy watching them enjoy the meal that they had prepared. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And uh, so he said, "Uh, here in the tent was an appropriate and very modest culture so the the wife wouldn't come out when men uh, approached the tent and and the lord said i will certainly return to you according to the time of life and behold sarah uh, your wife will have a son in nine months and sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him got her ear right up against that tent got that glass right up against the tent you know Wants to know what's going on. I mean, they don't get visitors like this every day. I'd have been doing the same thing. I'm not criticizing. So she's listening to everything uh, that is, is going on there and uh, behind the tent door where she thought nobody could, knew that she was doing that. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. I talk about clarity in, in the Bible. Just come out and say it. 
I mean, isn't, isn't it funny, like they have, like the uh, uh, seniors groups in churches and different things. Now you can't, you can't call them seniors groups or whatever. You've got to have the active some things or the, you know, God just, they're old. Let's, let's all just face it. These folks are old. And uh, it says, well advanced in age. I think in the old King James it says, well stricken with age. <laughs> age will beat you up. So the old, the old saying is, you know, growing old isn't for sissies. And that's, that's the truth of it. So they were uh, well stricken in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And therefore Sarah, when she hears the, the Lord make a promise that she's going to have a child in nine months, notice that she laughed inside of herself. I mean, it was just spontaneous. She just couldn't, she just couldn't believe what she was. She just laughed. But she didn't laugh out loud. She laughed inside of herself saying, after I have grown old, after 75 years of trying, <laughs> you know, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old? Well, we know the pleasure of having a pregnancy and a child. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's his answer to any time we would laugh at any promise he gives us. There are circumstances in life where the circumstances are so outrageous, God knows that they are, that when you take a promise of God and you put it up against that circumstance that God is going to somehow work this together for good it can seem laughable that the Word of God is going to be fulfilled that this is going to be worked together for good but that is always to see the circumstance in the light of my own resources not in the light of God's resources there is nothing that is too difficult for God and, and that goes for every one of our circumstances here tonight. God, God's promises, His Word, are going to have the final say in every circumstance in our life. There is nothing too difficult for God. Now, because there's nothing that is uh, too difficult for the Lord uh, in our, our lives, and, and, and then if he, if he answers no in terms of what I'm wanting him to do in a circumstance in my life, uh, and, and the circumstances remain the way that they are and not what I want them to be, it, the, the, it doesn't mean that the circumstances remain the same because God is unable to change them. They remain the same uh, because they are a part of his plan. So there's nothing that's too difficult for him. At the appointed time, I said nine months, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it. And she said, I, I, didn't, I didn't laugh in the tent. She's afraid. How can a guy say, the flap, is there like a crease in the flap? How could he know that I laughed? I laughed inside uh, of here. And she's afraid of, of this, whoever this is here and all. And then the Lord said to her, no, but you did laugh. And, and, he's, and he's not trying to crush her. What, what he's telling her, he's trying to encourage her faith. Because she knows there is no way that a regular person out there could have known I laughed inside, inside this tent. Only God could know that. 
And so, and, and so if, if it was God that made this promise, then in nine months I'm going to have a child. And God's just encouraging her, her faith. And then the men rose uh, from there, and they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. So they are on their way towards Sodom. They enjoyed the hospitality of Abraham uh, while they were making their way there. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a, a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order... <clears throat> excuse me. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after them that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Apparently people praying about how terrible the wickedness is there and because their sin is very grave and we're going to learn a little more about that sin later he said I will go down now and see whether what, uh, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me and if not I will know so they're making their way to Sodom there is a great outcry to heaven about the greatness of the wickedness and evil in Sodom and Gomorrah and it isn't that God doesn't understand what was happening there at all it's, it's just a, a poetic kind of, of way of, of telling us that God never meets out his judgment until he has investigated it thoroughly, seen that it is, is worthy of, of, uh, of, of the judgment that he's going to uh, bring upon it. It's, it. It is interesting to me that the Lord declares here to these two angels as they're making their way now towards Sodom and, and, and starting to leave the, the company of, of Abraham that God, uh, the Lord has a desire that Abraham would know what his plans for Sodom were. It was important to him that Abraham, because he is going to become the father of a great nation, and then thus become an influence not only in the nation, but in the whole world. God wants this, this nation of Israel that was going to come from his loins to be a blessing to the whole world. And so God wants Abraham to know why he is judging uh, Sodom. He wants him to know that this city, this city of Sodom is going to be judged because of the wickedness that is there. In other words, what he's, what he's doing with Abraham is, in declaring this, is Abraham, the reasons that I am going to judge Sodom, you must never, ever allow those sins to ever characterize the nation that I'm going to raise up through you. Otherwise, I'll have to judge you just the same. You need to know that any people that lower their level of, of life and conduct to that level, that they are going to force me to judge them in, in that, that situation. And that's what Abraham was to know. That sexual immorality and perversion and uh, heterosexuality, homosexuality, and it must not be allowed in the nation that God is going to raise uh, through uh, Abraham. Judgment follows it. And that's why so many states in the United States had anti-sodomy laws until the last few years. 
You say, oh, what a bunch of squares, you know. Here we are, we're finally getting to understand what's right and, and, and cruel and unusual treatment and that, that kind of thing. They had a recognition from the Scriptures when those laws were put in place that there is no future for a people uh, in the eyes of God who mainstream this kind of sexual immorality. It wasn't just to pick out a group and to, and to pick on them. It is right here from uh, Genesis chapter 18, and that is the, the, the reason God wants the whole world to know why he is judging Sodom, so that that sin is never legitimized or allowed a foothold within, within a, a, a nation. And so he makes it very, very uh, clear in, in all of that. And then the men, verse 22, they turned away, from there and they went toward Sodom but Abraham stood before the Lord so the angels they continue on to Sodom and uh, the Lord never actually enters into Sodom and he continues now to commune uh, in a conversation with Abraham and Abraham came near and uh, said to the Lord would you destroy um, the righteous with the wicked suppose there are 50 righteous people within that city of Sodom would you destroy the whole place and not spare it for the 50 righteous uh, that were in it far be it from you that, uh, to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right and uh, this is, the, this is the kind of friendship and relationship that Abraham has with the Lord. He's called the friend of God in the scriptures. And, and what Abraham is concerned here for God's honor. He is concerned for God's reputation. Lord, if you go in for all of the wickedness of Sodom and you wipe out that whole, whole city there and there are 50 righteous living inside of that that city and then the word gets out that you are not discriminating in your judgment what's that going to do to your reputation and so he's concerned now he's ill-advised God is God is, is absolutely perfect in meeting out his judgment but he, he has a legitimate concern for the reputation of God so that's why he he broaches the the subject here and talk about that Lord this could really do some damage if if you just start judging the righteous and the unrighteous together which is interesting because God isn't going to judge the righteous with the unrighteous which tells us that the Lord needs to rapture the church out of of a world that is uh, Christ rejecting before he begins to pour out his judgment in the revelation because he he understands exactly what Abraham is getting at here and he understands it not only understands it um, he is in full accordance with it. And so, what do you, Lord, have you thought this all the way through, you know? And so the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place, the whole mess, for their sakes. And then Abraham answered, and he said, Indeed, now, <laughs> who am I? I'm just, I'm just testing ashes, and, uh, and I, I've taken it on myself to speak to the Lord. So, He's got this friendship with God, and that's great. There's tremendous respect for the Lord here, too. But he, he wants to ask a little bit more of the Lord. Suppose there are five less than 50 righteous. It's just 45. 
would you f- destroy all of the city for lack of five? And the Lord said to him, if I find 45, I won't uh, destroy it. Boy, God's just a lousy bargainer, isn't he? Just caving every step of the way. And then, and then he spoke, the, uh, Abraham spoke to the Lord yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And the Lord said, I won't do it for the sake of 40. Wow, I'm going to roll here. And then he, he said, Lord, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. And, and the Lord said, I won't do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now, listen, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I mean, I'm in this far. And uh, so suppose 20 should be found there righteous. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, oh, Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I'm just, just, I'm going to just ask one more, one more time, one more thing, and then I'm done. Suppose ten should be found there, and the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. Wow. He got him all the way down to ten on this, on this thing. And, and the Lord just readily allowed it to be so. And I think that Abraham when he kind of negotiated this thing down and I use negotiate in a sanctified sense what Abraham one of the things that's happening here God is not offended by what Abraham is doing God is dealing with a man who has the same concern for souls that God has so there's no real negotiation happening here there's communion happening here and what's going on the Lord is happy to be able to say yes to these things. And he's going to even do more than Abraham uh, asked of him. So Abraham has to think, when he's brought it all the way to ten, he thinks about, okay, Lot and his wife, and there's at least two virgin daughters that... Well, we don't need to go there. It's in the next chapter. But I can't believe what he does. And then, then he's got other daughters who are married and not virgins because the, he, when he speaks to his sons-in-law in Sodom to flee the, the city of Sodom, they think he's joking. They laugh in his face. And so he, the, probably ten of them just in the family. And Abraham thinks, all right, because of the family of Lot, their presence there in Sodom, the city is going uh, to be saved. And so the Lord, when went his way as soon as he had finished speaking and you notice circle that word speaking at least in your mind this is not a negotiation that's not how God saw this he saw it as a conversation with one of his children who shared the same heart that he had that he's not willing that any should perish but that all would come uh, to to repentance and then Abraham returned to his place now it's interesting to note and then we'll enjoy communion together interesting to note that though God had agreed to save Sodom for ten righteous when it turns out that there are only three or four righteous in Sodom he takes the extra step and he removes them before he pours his judgment out upon the city he does much more than what Abraham asks of him and I think the lesson of it is 
is that whenever we read of God's judgment in the scriptures or, any, or we're concerned about his judgment, that it might be unfair, that it, it, uh, the collateral damage that might be involved or that he would be careless in, in his judgment, that the innocent would be wiped out in his judgment, it is a needless fear. God knows how to make his, right, his judgment righteous He knows how to remove the righteous from a situation before he pours out his judgment. We don't need to be concerned about the wisdom or the righteousness or even the grace of God shown in his judgment. He is way beyond us in this. When he is forced to judge, it is only because his very character and reputation is at stake if he doesn't uh, judge and again the application for the church being removed prior to through the rapture prior to the great tribulation which is his judgment upon a world that has uh, rejected his son this world has no idea it has no idea what it owes to the presence of God's people in it and the judgment that our presence continues to to hold off It won't always hold it off, but it holds it off as far as tonight goes. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back and take us out and and, and, and all God's Spirit working through us. Not because we're better than anyone else or anything like this, but because we're righteous in God's eyes. Righteous in Christ because of what's been imputed to us. Righteous because we're trying to live a life that God has called us to, being salt and light. In, in the world. But I had uh, hoped to get into uh, chapter uh, 19 tonight, and it is, Lot is just in a mess. And what he has taken his family into, and what he has turned into, I mean, as a father, I weep at how Sodom has influenced him and his family and the lack of influence he has had there. But I just want, as we partake of of communion tonight, I want to at least introduce Lot. He takes, goes from being a man who is so rich, you'll forget this, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. He has so many flocks, so many herds, He has so many servants that the land cannot sustain the greatness of them with the greatness of the flocks and the herds that that Abraham had. And they're forced apart. And before this is all said and done, he is going to be in a cave with his two daughters having lost everything in life in order to enjoy the prosperity, the material financial prosperity of Sodom. And the picture of Abraham on one hand, the peace of his life, just sitting at a tent door, middle of a hot summer day, loves God, hospitality, communion with God, all of these things, and then the life that Lot's decisions have put him in the middle of, it's, it's, it's too completely, it's just a contrast between the two. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight, the cracker is a symbol of Jesus' body and, and his body broken for us in order for us to be forgiven. 
and for us, uh, in order for us to be saved. And, and always when I look at that cracker, I think of Jesus when, when he said, you know, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Fresh surrender to, to the Lord and his will for his life. And I always like the time when we partake of the bread to just have, be a time of fresh consecration to the things of the Lord. And the Lord's Supper 